Aloha, and welcome to Figment's Star of Imagination on Think Deck Hawaii. I'm Dan Leaf. I go by Fig. I hope you know that because you've been watching. Before we get into today's episode, I want to let you know that there'll be a special episode of Figment's on Reality this Thursday. More on that later, because we do have to get to this episode. I'm very excited about it. The, for, the guest today is an old friend of mine from being a young fighter pilot, Lieutenant Colonel Rick Pellini. Cluso! And the topic is a little deeper than the usual fighter pilot banter. Uh, I imagined I could live with what I did. And now coming to us from Okinawa, Japan, Clouseau, aloha and ohayo gozaimasu. Aloha, Fig, and ohayo gozaimasu to you. Hey, it's great to see. It's been great to reconnect. We go back, let's see, 37 years or so to Okinawa when we we're both young bucks flying fighters and uh, I was you a little, a little older, older than me then. <laughs> senior yeah but I remember you which since you were a young new F-15 pilot that could be good or bad but it's a good reflection because some some young pilots stood out and uh, you were one of them um, you've written a book that's what got my attention uh, you wrote a book call sign Clouseau an American fighter pilot in Mr. Reagan's Air Force. And to, for you to go from that baby on the left to a book writing fighter pilot and the thinker that you are now, that's quite a journey. It, it is quite a journey. And and as I outlined in my book, I, I never really had an intention to write a book. But it came to me one day at work that there was all these unique little things in my life that kind of led me to where I am today. And, and I highly, I highly recommend the book to folks. Yeah, uh, um, whether you're interested in aviation or not, it's a good human story, a very good human, human story. Yeah, so but, that was my intent. Well, I hope you're selling lots of them because people will learn by reading, and I know you help. There, sell, you're selling lots of them, but. Uh, you weren't an author, you're just a fighter pilot. And as we've discussed getting ready for this episode, we were living the fighter pilot life. We're young jet jockeys hanging around with other fighter pilots. The picture on the left of the screen is me and my F-15 training class. That's you and, and, uh, and your fighter weapons school class with your jet at Nellis. And I know a lot of those guys, they're great guys and real characters. It was awesome. I could write a book just about my fighter weapon school class, but no, you could sure it's share uh, everything. It's classified. <laughs> and I'm not talking about the academics. But it was, I mean, these are really um uniquely vibrant, bright, uh, diverse, believe it or not, guys that you're hanging out with who are all extremely capable uh, at a very difficult job. Yeah, and you know, that was a perception uh, that I didn't have with the military. I didn't come from a military background, but when I got in, the quality of the people that were around me is just like, mm -hmm. wow, this is <laughs> this is quite an organization. This is something I'm happy to belong to, and it, it was fulfilling in that way. I learned something today from uh, active duty four-star, I won't say the service of name since I didn't say I was going to tribute, but 40% of Americans pursue some form of higher education after high school. 
only 25% of Americans are even qualified to join the military. Now that's not apples and apples, but, but from the lowest enlisted person to the most senior officer in general, there are always exceptions, people will be astounded with the, kind, the quality of our men and women in uniform. Yeah, yeah I have to wholeheartedly agree. And it was, but it was fun. We were in a peacetime Air Force. I mean, I don't, did you ever think you were going to go to war? Well, you know, at Kadena, we had that that feeling, and you showed, I think, the picture maybe you have there of the I will now. On. So there you go. <laughs> but um, you had that feeling at Kadena, and we were we had a poster in the 12th Squadron Weapons Shop that said the war starts tomorrow, and that's how we approached our business. Mm -hmm. But yeah, definitely when I got to Eglin and the Berlin Wall came down, which I was at weapons school when that happened, it, it felt oh. like peace was breaking out all over, and eh, we're never going to have a war. And then in August of uh, 1990, that all changed. And you went to war in Desert Storm, and... Uh... I'll talk about my combat experience, which came later, my real combat experience, just to give a, a bit of a, a reflection. I, I trained in air superiority in the mighty F-15, undefeated air superiority fighter, um, and then went to war as a wing commander in the air-to-ground mission, dropping bombs on targets in Kosovo, Serbia. Um, and uh, the, the one thing I have to share anytime I talk about combat stories, I have to say that on my first mission, I was scared to death. I usually use a different term, but I was so afraid that I wouldn't be able to perform. It wasn't fear of anything else. But I'd been, I'd been being a macho fighter pilot for 25 years, and I was scared to death I wouldn't do it. I flew mostly nice missions, which was nice because you could see when you're being shot at. And that was information I wanted to have. <laughs> Ignorance is not bliss in that case. And they were intense, but they were grinding. And unlike air-to-air, -air, uh, Clouseau, um, we always knew we we're going to expend ordnance. And air superiority, you can spend a lot of time in the combat air patrol before you see any MiGs, but that wasn't your experience, as I hope you'll share. So tell me about being an air superiority pilot on... I think you flew on the first night of Desert Storm. Our first, yeah. Yeah, first so mission. I was the mission commander for the very first uh, fighter sweep into Iraq. And as it turned out, we got pushed early. So we were literally the first F-15s to enter Iraq. And uh, it was a night mission. Uh, we were well prepared. We rehearsed it. We we're flying night visual formations, if you could say that yeah uh, without goggles each without other. night vision goggles right yeah and uh and I, I wouldn't say i was afraid i think my biggest fear was going to the tanker with embedded thunderstorms <laughs> that was scary uh mostly it was like that great tom wolf quote from the right stuff is lord please don't let me don't. screw up yeah that's not exactly word. the quote but uh, that you didn't want to you didn't want to mess up to you know, do something like take down uh, friendly aircraft um, or just mess up the mission. Because uh, once we pushed, it, it was kind of autopilot. The training. Well, autopilot. And there so was probably the, a few times during this. I interrupted uh, on purpose sorry. because uh, I don't want our, our viewers, uh, Clouseau, to think that you're flying an Airbus 380 or something. 
that's a figurative term. <laughs> that environment in an air superiority fighter is is unbelievably busy. I think it's the most uh, dynamic, multitasking environment. So how about sharing with us everything you have to do from the time you commit to a, attack an airplane to expending a missile? What, all, what are you worried about? Uh, well, just um, operating the radar, at, it was at night, and so we were going through some very specific uh, brief um, techniques for how we maintain our separation, maintain our speed, uh, keep going same way, same day. Uh, we're going through different light drills as we got closer to the threat, turning off more lights, communicating with AWACS. And on that first night, it was, the radar. they pushed us early because the Iraqis had launched their alert mm -hmm. aircraft early. So it was a busy picture. We're trying to incorporate uh, that picture building in the communications, who's an actual threat, uh, who's not, because many of the Iraqi aircraft just turned away. Uh, we had we had friendlies in front of us. Uh, so you don't and, want to shoot uh, by mistake. Yeah, and they since we pushed early, they were complicating the picture, um, and then we just started to pick out things. I and mean, fortunately, we broke out of the weather just as we hit the the border. Mm -hmm. There and yeah, you could see all the all the shooting going on, which I've never seen before. It was amazing. Yeah, it makes so fireworks like display is kind of boring, doesn't it? Being fulfilled. Yeah. So um, at least you've got somebody to help you with this in your aircraft. No, you don't. You're flying alone, and I think you're doing all this with your two hands on the throttles and on the stick, and we call it playing the piccolo. Uh, but the F-15 was, I think, the best engineered airplane ever for working the magic of all the systems you have. Yeah, and, and training had got us to that point where mm -hmm. it just became natural. So, so what really was the fast saturation was dealing with the unknown and being in combat for the first time. And to, to contrast to, say, World War II or Korean War, the flight leader would look for bandits and the wingman would cover his six, would protect him. In your F-15, all of you are prepared to engage. Each of you has a set area to look with your radar and with your eyes. And that area is defined both by altitude and geography. So everybody's busy. It's not just somebody hanging on flying formation. And I think that's yeah, a huge transition. A total team effort. Did you know the guys you were flying with well? Had you been flying with them for a while? I did. I did because we had really been together as a squadron, you know, for two years and virtually mm -hmm. everybody that was there with us. And we had some great experience, uh, especially in that first night. Uh, Cheese Grater uh, was my number five, the leader of the other four ship. And then my number three was J.B. Kelp. Um, they have both come from to, um, the Pacific and Europe, so they had great experience in large force employment, uh, people I could just totally rely on. And so, uh, and like I said, we've been flying together as paired four ships for yep. you know, four or five months, so we knew each other, you know, upside and down, and uh, it, that, it, that just helped with the confidence. You can't overemphasize the importance of that. You can see a wide receiver and a quarterback who are in in G and the ball the quarterback just knows where to put the the uh, ball 
but it's that times many for a four ship that's been flying together and you don't have to guess. And the other beauty of it is you don't have to talk very much on the radio. Nowhere near as much as if you're working with a stranger. There was a lot of talking that night. <laughs> really? I'm not, I, I, I don't know if you remember, but I'm a big shut up. I usually say it differently on the radio guy. And the, the wing at Aviano adapted to that mode earlier. No color commentary. If what you're going to say is not going to make me do something, then shut up. Okay, well, we're going to talk a little bit about the actual shoot down. First, I would like to briefly plug the special episode of On Reality. Um, Figments On Reality is going to be on uh, at the not usual uh, date and time on the uh, one o'clock on the 26th, Thursday of uh, next uh, this week. Boy, it's a busy week. And I'm going to talk more about Afghanistan. I'm going to go specifically into what went wrong in uh, the withdrawal. Uh, again, this is non-political commentary. I'm not going to uh, blame it on a person or a party or anybody, but I'm going to talk about the things that went down militarily because they're stunning and we have to learn lessons from things that go this badly. So, um, Back to flying combat, and you and I talked about my experience. Uh, I appreciate you not giving me grief about being a bomb dropper because we who flew the F-15 are, uh, okay, we're ego pilots, not just ego pilots, but came late in my career, was 20, 46 years old for Pete's sake, one-star wing commander in uh, Operation Allied Force, and we, um, but it was kind of a search and destroy mission because there was a muddy situation with the ethnic cleansing that was going on in Kosovo. We'd find targets and then we'd kill them. Sometimes we had pre-planned targets, but most of the missions I flew, we were seeking uh, out the enemy and then attacking it. And I'll, I'll share briefly, on April 12th, 1999, I was on one of those missions flying on the wing of my wing safety officer in an F-16, also single seat. We had laser guided bombs and stuff. And this is the very short version of the target. We uh, found a convoy of Serb uh, irregulars who were burning Muslim homes in Kosovo. And it was our job to stop that. Uh, this is a much longer story when properly told, but in essence, I dropped a 500 pound bomb that took out two or three vehicles and enabled my, uh, my flight lead uh, the safety officer to take out the gas truck they were using to fuel their fires. And it was the first time I ever killed people and knew it and saw it. And two very um, seemingly incongruous things happened. I keyed the radio and said to my wingman, even though I'm big on radio discipline, I was in that moment, we had stopped these guys maybe 300 meters from the next town they were going to pillage. I keyed the mic and said, um, I love my job. And at the same time, I thought, you know, I'm a death penalty opponent because you shouldn't kill unless you have to, and we have to. It was kind of a moral epiphany. There's actually much more detail than that. You shot down a MiG-25, thought you killed the pilot. Talk us through the engagement and how this happens. Yeah, so um, it started with the fact that this mission was not a fragged or a cast mission. Um, so that whole 
idea in the book how things just happen on the moment, mm -hmm. and it seems by you know circumstance, but I, I think there's a bigger reason. Um, anyway, we got launched on this special mission because we're the only guys available to go sit um, cap for some scud hunters. And this is day three of the war, so there's cap protects other aircraft looking to, to destroy scuds. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so. While we're waiting, uh, a Navy package is coming out of the uh, Baghdad area, and they're being chased down by Iraqi MiGs, and so the AWACS commits us on those. Um, and uh, we, I've, I'm leaving the four-ship now, and um, we put ourselves in a cutoff position and get there in time, and it's two MiG-29s, and they break off the attack and head back northeast towards Baghdad. And right after that, two more MiGs pop up about 30 miles north. And at this point, it looks more like an Iraqi tactic. And we, I would find out later it was an Iraqi tactic. Yeah, there's a reason uh, they were trying that. to trap yeah. some eagles. And so what happened was we, I turned the flight into the two aircraft to the north, and they turned out to be MiG-25s. We plan, I plan BBR engagements with our aim Beyond visual range. And these Foxbat pilots did a great job defending against our missiles and our radars all the way up until we ended at a visual merge, which was not the plan. Where you could see, actually um, see the airplanes are fighting. Yeah. And, uh, and that idea that, oh, you'll never, you know, dogfight in combat again, that people were saying, it's like, well, that's not true. Look at this here. Uh, anyway, so it turned out to be a classic ACM air combat maneuvering fight with me mm -hmm. and my wingman, uh, Larry Cherry Pitts. And the Foxbat that I had targeted left the fight at high speed and low altitude with no chance for me to engage him. And so it was two versus one uh, in a visual, uh, about a one to, to one and a half mile fight, <laughs> classic BFM fight. And Cherry was camped behind his fox bat, and I was supporting him. And we we're both shooting missiles. And uh, Cherry's uh, and the fox bats were defending with chaff and flares very well. And eventually, one of Cherry's AIM sevens gets there. The pilot uh, ejects. My AIM nine follows right after that. And as I'm coming off that fox bat, my auto acquisition mode grabs the other fox bat coming back into the fight. And Cherry sees him also and calls him out. And I was able to rather quickly convert to his six o'clock mm -hmm. at about a little over a mile. And I had issues with IDing him because it looked a lot like an F-15. Right. I didn't know where my number three and four were gone. And I knew there might be Tomcats in the area. And so I go through a rather complex uh, thought process and communication of trying to verify. but. You actually asked everybody to, who was friendly to come out of afterburner because this airplane was in burner, right? Yeah. So that you could tell the difference. Yeah. <laughs> I had actually figured it out by visual recognition at that point. And yeah. I started shooting and I had some similar problems as Cherry that he was defeating uh, a couple of my shots. But eventually uh, my second AIM-7 uh, got to the aircraft. Radar and missile. when it got there, it was it was a big explosion and i had not seen the pilot eject 
And so my assumption was if he was still in the airplane, he didn't make it out. So the airplane and basically there, vaporized, right? I mean, it, it just... It pretty much Death Star vaporized. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was, it was, it, it was actually shocking. And, uh, I, I remember and that. that, point, that I, I know that feeling from dropping my first two, live 2,000 pounder in combat with a secondary. I, yeah. It was shocking. Yeah. And uh, up to that point, I probably had some tunnel vision and temporal distortion. I was so mm -hmm. focused on the fight and the task. But when that thing blew up, it just like, whoop, kind of cleared, cleared up. You know, the Saving Private Ryan, the opening scene when Tom Hanks is on the beach and he kind of comes out of that trance, right? Like that. Yeah. And uh, boy, we could talk for a long time on that and would see me even longer because of temporal distortion. But we got to move on because I want to get to the main point of this discussion. So you're a MIG killer and you go back and land at your base. How did that feel? I mean, this is the ultimate for a fighter pilot. Right? Yeah. Uh, all the way back, I had already kind of passed on some other targets on the previous missions to other guys who got yeah. the got the kills. And uh, this was my turn. <laughs> uh, it was a fulfillment of a, you know, a, of my career to that point, as every fighter pilot wants to do. Yeah. Uh, we did eight on victory rolls. <laughs> nice. Uh, and uh, me and Cherry, you know, had a victory celebration on the ground, just like the Top Gun scene. Mm -hmm. And we were just elated. The ground crew, maintenance, weapons guys were just cheering. And it was everything and, you thought about. And so now it's back to normal life and life in the Air Force because you stayed and served. Got some normal life pictures that I put together. You and your bride, um, you and the kids. And then you and General Cliver, I, I su suppose that's when you actually received the DFC for the shooting that of the yeah. Distinguished Flying Cross. Folks, it's a big deal. Um, so it was normal life, and you became a squadron commander, uh, and you're moving up. You're a mid-killer. You're a weapons school graduate, made lieutenant colonel. You're in command, but you chose to retire. Why? Um, oh, that's that's well covered in the book, but I well, just, we're tickling I'd the book. come to the conclusion that I had grown a lot as an officer, as a fighter pilot. I had not grown very much as a human being. In what and I way? just needed to move away. It, in reconciling the fact that in your mind you believed you had killed another human being? Is that part of it? Uh, I, I, I'm sure that was part of it. That wasn't a conscious part at the time mm. I was making the decision. That kind of came later uh, as I was getting out, and I turned to my Buddhist practice and came to a, an ability to 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 understand what was going on there and how I needed yeah, to do that. I have a photo that has you in kind of both modes. It's an early photo of you in so non-Air Force attire, and then your official photo. So you, you um, began practicing Buddhism and, and do to this day and stayed in Japan. So I guess you're telling me that this reflection on humanity and 
the fatal nature of war came later, that you grew into it as you grew as a human being. Yeah, because up to that point, I had buried that. I buried mm -hmm. it within hours after it happened because I could not get to sleep thinking about the human being in that fox bat. And so I, I, I came to a conclusion that hey, it was him or me, you know, press on. And so I buried that little dark, dark matter in my heart and carried it with me. And that's not a good thing to do. And I came um, to that realization at the end not, of my career. Yeah, and not good in the, how did it affect you? Is it kind of a PTSD or was it um, just kind of forced compartmentalization? And you know, I, I've never been um, diagnosed with that, but I, I have a sense that there's some level of anxieties or whatever that go along with it, that if you, if you allow that dark darkness to stay there, eventually it attracts more and, and it can grow. And so it, it affects your life. You have to come to terms with it at some point. And you eventually found out, so not to spoil the book, like I said, read it, but you eventually found out that the MiG-25 pilot had in fact survived. That's that's what I was told through yeah. uh, contacts uh, with Doug Dilby and Tom Cooper in, in writing their book and also my book. And But that doesn't, fortunately, fortunately he survived. Fortunately, I don't think it changes the reflection because I don't know how many people were killed on April 12, 1999. Maybe nobody find that hard to believe but the reflection once you let yourself do it is um liberating in some ways i think yeah it is liberating and uh it's necessary uh for um not just for your own peace of mind but for the world yeah you and know, uh, we change the world by changing one person at a time and that has to start with us and it's so easy to not go there. Um, it's much easier to not go there than take the time to ponder it. And, mm -hmm. you know, if it, if it hadn't been that specific moment that I described, I might not have gone there. I dropped a lot of other bombs. I saw targets blow up, but there was nowhere near as personal. And um, the, the, I, I thank God that I had a chance to reflect. And I'm on that same journey to yeah, grow as much as a man as I did as a journey. fighter pilot. Yeah. Well, uh, we could go on and on and on. And unfortunately, we have a minute and a half left. And we talked about doing a part two. We could talk about uh, other things you booked, like how your dad encouraged you, inspired you to pursue a career in aviation. Your music, um, which we haven't even talked about, but people can see part of a guitar over your shoulder. Uh, but let's give the book one more plug here. And Cluso, how can they buy uh, or download Call Sign Cluso? Uh, it's it's on all major. I have a Facebook page called Sign Cluso. It's on all the major book selling outlets: okay. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and so forth. Casemate is the publisher, uh, so you can find it there. Plus all the links, so it's it's not too hard to find. And it's much more. I've got an Apple Books. It is much more than a flying book, folks. Let me say that, and uh, let me. Finished by asking Clouseau, what's your current figment? What do you want to do next? 
uh, I just want to continue my human revolution. Um, that's, that's continue to grow as, as a human. And, you know, um, that's, you know, I, I don't have specific goals now. No, that's good. But that, I, I'm writing that's, another that's book, goal. but uh, it's, it's really help others, you know, yeah. grow as much as you yeah. can. It's what you're doing right now, Fig. You know, you. come to yeah. some self-realization, some self-enlightenment, and help others to do the same. Well, you're doing that, uh, Clouseau. It's been great to reconnect. We'll be in touch, um, uh, I'm sure, and I hope you get yeah, to Hawaii here. sometime. Uh, so what would Fig do is one of the things I always say, uh, here's what Fig would do. Value human life, all human life, even that of your enemy. Um, and as I said in my On Reality last week, we need to take a more moral approach to the use of lethal force in combat as a nation. It's a fundamental concern of mine. So I'd like to thank Think Tech Hawaii for giving me the chance to uh, share my views and introduce them to Cluso and uh, remind you that they are a nonprofit. They need your support. So please go to their website and think about uh, donating. Thanks for watching, folks. Uh, again, uh, next Thursday, this coming Thursday, Figments on Reality Special Edition. Mahalo and aloha.